Why is today different than all other days? Is today different? Is it different for you? Or is it just another day in a string of endlessly monotonous days? This question, why is this day different than all others, is a question often asked by Jewish folks when they celebrate Passover and other feasts, as the children are instructed to ask the parents as part of the ritual ceremony of the meals and things that they share during these different celebrations, the the children are instructed to ask, why is this day different? And it's the cue for the parents or for some other designee in the household to share the truth behind what Passover is, or to share the truth behind what the Feast of Tabernacles is, or share the truth about what Pentecost is. Why is this day different than any other? And we in American Christianity maybe don't understand that for those Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles things, but we do understand it for things like Christmas. Why is it different? Because we celebrate the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Word made flesh, God incarnate sent to dwell with us. Or perhaps Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the victory over sin, the victory over death, and the joy of the redeemed life that's made possible because of the resurrection. Or maybe it's some other day that you have significance in celebrating. But why is today different? To the Jewish culture, Uh, At the time of Christ, Pentecost was celebrated and had been celebrated for many hundreds of years. And it was a celebration of first fruits, a celebration of, of the harvest and the first things beginning to come in as part of the harvest. And so the the Jewish people would celebrate this as part of their thanks to God and their worship of God Almighty, Jehovah the Provider. And so it was not uncommon for the Jewish people to gather on Pentecost in Jerusalem from places all over the known world to celebrate Pentecost. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2 is that people from all over the world descended on Jerusalem, Jewish folks, believers in, in Yahweh, Jehovah God, came together to celebrate God's faithful provision at the Feast of Pentecost. That day on the Jewish calendar is this Sunday, May 31st, 2020. And so every year, just as we celebrate holidays on an annual basis, the Jewish holiday of Pentecost has come. But today we don't just celebrate the first fruits of a physical harvest. We don't just celebrate the uh, reality that the harvest is beginning to come in from the fields of wheat and uh, produce and different things. But we celebrate the beginning of the church, the beginning of the harvest of souls that happened at Pentecost in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. What happened on this day, Pentecost, in history, is unique. In all of time, in all of creation, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on mankind one time. Yes, the Holy Spirit is given uh, to individuals continually, and, and you may have received the Holy Spirit in a powerful way through baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you may have uh, received that gift recently, but that's an individual thing that's available to every person who calls on the name of the Lord. But as far as the Holy Spirit being poured out the first time on multitudes of people and, uh, and the beginning of the church, that is celebrated on this day, Pentecost. So this day in history is unique. 
But this day today, May 31st, 2020, is unique as well. It's unique because this is all you have. The past is past. Joys were experienced. And maybe there is fruit that was born from back then that is still evident in your life, but the past is past. And thank God that mistakes are forgiven. Thank God that what happened in the past that did not glorify him, that didn't work out well for us, that may have broken relationships or may have caused bad results, those things are forgiven and the past is gone. But I have today. And the future, the future of what this world might be, we have no idea, but we have today. The future of what eternity holds is is secure for certain, and we can praise God for that. But as far as what you and I physically have the ability to do something with, all we have is today. And that makes today unique because you have the opportunity today to decide if this is just going to be another day in a long list of days or if there's going to be something unique that stands out because of God's goodness in your life, something unique that stands out because you have chosen to obey, something unique that stands out because this is going to be a day that you give yourself fully to the Lord to see what He and only He can do. What is different about today? Lots of things. But number one is that today is the day that you have a chance to do something different, unique, to experience God's love, to take God's love, to do something maybe that you haven't done in a long time or to do something you've never done before. So we celebrate today as a unique day. The past is past. The future isn't here yet, but I have today. And today in history, like I said, is the day the Holy Spirit came. The day that uh, the, the first fruits of the harvest of believers in Jesus Christ who had just recently raised from the dead, who had just recently ascended into heaven, that day was being celebrated But the Holy Spirit did not begin to exist that day. The Holy Spirit has always existed. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And each person in the the triune Godhead is significant in its own right, but yet they are combined together as one. And there's no really good earthly or human way to explain that. We take a lot of it by faith. Because they're not different people who just always agree. They are one person. And they're not just one person that shows up in different ways. They are three individual spiritual God uh, beings, yet somehow uniquely all together in one. And the Holy Spirit, like I said, did not begin existing at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was there as part of the triune Godhead hovering over the face of the deep. When God said, let there be light. The Holy Spirit was present in moments uh, with people like Samson, the judge, when the Holy Spirit came upon him and gave him power. The Holy Spirit was present with kings like David, who begged for the Holy Spirit not to be taken away from him. The Holy Spirit was present in the conceiving of Christ in the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit was present and descended at Christ's baptism in the Jordan River. And the Holy Spirit came and settled among God's people once and for all at Pentecost. With every believer in Christ, we now have within us 
the Holy Spirit. For we who are called by God and have called on his name are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and he is with us. But why, why did the Holy Spirit come? If faith in Christ is what is needed for salvation, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with that? Uh, what does he do now that he's here? What difference will he make now that he's present with us forever? Well, in the Old Testament, when he came, it was very temporary. It wasn't a permanent residence in people's lives. It was in a moment to give a judge strength. It was in a moment to give a king wisdom or power. And the Holy Spirit was more in and out on different individuals, and God dealt differently with foreign kings at different times, using even King Nebuchadnezzar for his glory. God used evil, wicked people. His Holy Spirit would direct them. But his Holy Spirit did not indwell anyone permanently as he does today. The Holy Spirit became a reality when we became the blood-bought, redeemed children of God. When Christ's sacrifice for us was complete and we were able to repent and ask Christ to forgive our sins and invite God to be the Lord of our lives and to declare him as such, at that moment the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in the believer in Jesus Christ. The first people to receive the Holy Spirit as believers in him were the disciples. In John chapter 20, the day that Christ rose from the dead, it says this in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This was the first time that salvation in Christ by belief in his atoning work for us on the cross. This is the first time that that belief resulted in the Holy Spirit being deposited into individuals' lives as redeemed, restored, reconciled followers of God. As confused as the disciples may have been in those days, trying to figure out why Christ had allowed himself to be crucified and, and was he really back from the dead and was this a ghost among us and let us feel his hands and, and see his feet and feel his side because uh, we're confused. We don't know what's going on. As much as they must have been confused in those days and trying to wrestle with what had happened, how amazing must this have been for them to realize that this Holy Spirit that Christ had been talking to them about was now being given to them. This is something that they had heard Christ talk about, that a Holy Spirit would come. And now it was happening. Could you imagine being there? How awesome would that be to have Christ fulfilling his prophecy to you in that moment saying, and now the Holy Spirit is given. But for the disciples who were paying attention, they may have also realized this sobering reality. Because in John chapter 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit cannot come 
unless Jesus himself leaves. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, you're going away? Well, what could be better than you being here with us? Why would you leave us, Jesus, and send someone else that we don't know? We love you, Jesus. Stay with us. Set up your kingdom. Let me sit on your right side. Let him sit on your left side. And, and we'll reign with you. Jesus, don't leave us. What could be better than being with Jesus? Wouldn't you want Jesus to be here? I mean, how cool would that be if Jesus walked into your house right now? As you're watching this video talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and how cool it would be to be with them, what if he walked in your front door? Wouldn't that be cool? And you could go for a three-year walk with him? And you could spend time with him? Getting to know him? Seeing his miracles? Eating the food? Telling the stories? I mean, isn't, isn't that... Isn't that part of the reason that it would be cool to be with Jesus? I mean, the crowds followed him, didn't they? they? And Jesus even called him out on this. You're only following me because you got something to eat. He could have just as easily said to many of them, you're only following me because you saw some cool miracles and you want a story to tell about what happened to someone else. It would be cool to walk with Jesus. Many would love it, but perhaps for the wrong reasons, just for the physical signs and the stories to tell, without their lives being changed at all. But think about it. What if Jesus had stayed? Jesus couldn't die again. He already died and defeated death. He had a glorified, resurrected body, which means that he'd still be here. And you'd have a 33-ish year old looking man, more than likely, still walking the face of the earth after 2,000 years. What would the stories be about that guy? You'd talk to your grandparents about how they knew about him, and they could talk about how their grandparents knew about him. And generation after generation would die, but there'd still be this Jesus guy here. It'd be weird. And everyone would have to acknowledge he was something special because he's the only guy who found the fountain of youth but won't share with anybody what it is because everyone else keeps dying. It just wouldn't work. We'll see later on why it's important that Christ had to leave. This is the reason that Christ had to send the Spirit for the conviction of sin. He continues in the same passage in John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. The Holy Spirit will be the convictor. He will be the one who gives us conviction about certain things, you see, the world, many people were following Jesus just because of the miracles. Many people didn't believe who he was. And because no one was believing him, there had to be some, uh, some other aspect to how God works. Specifically, we know it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who has to be the one to come, 
who cannot just be Jesus physically walking around the earth teaching people, but there has to be a Holy Spirit presence that invades the life of every human that convicts them of the sin and gives them a chance to repent and be born again. The Holy Spirit convicts us, convicting of sin, it says in verse 9, because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So if Christ has to leave so the Holy Spirit can come and convict people of their sin, who is going to model righteousness if Jesus is no longer visible to teach it and model it? So the Holy Spirit comes to convict concerning righteousness because as he dwells in us, he gives us that conviction and helps us understand what holiness and righteousness is that Christ was talking about, but people weren't believing. But now the Holy Spirit becomes the communicator of those things to us to develop convictions within us of what right living looks like. And verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The judgment on this world began. It ended at the cross, but it also began. The final judgment was determined what it would be at the cross for all who call on his name. It was determined what it would be for all who do not call on his name. And so it began, but it also ended at the same time. And so the ruler of the world is judged, and there is a judgment coming for every person, and the Holy Spirit needs to come to give us a conviction about that judgment so that we live our lives righteous and without sin by his grace and forgiven of the sins that are committed so that we can be righteous before God. We see this conviction as a result of the Holy Spirit's message that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. So this reality of conviction the Holy Spirit is going to bring is evidenced very plainly in Peter's message. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, on the day of Pentecost, Peter speaks and it says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Holy Spirit convicts. It says they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit gives us new convictions and, and emboldens our convictions. Upon our repentance, we have a new set of convictions. But then as we grow, as we uh, re, uh, um, not only at the moment of salvation when we are redeemed, regenerated, and reconciled back to God, but then as we grow, he continues to be our helper, our guide, our comfort, continuing to develop in us these convictions, never condemning, for that is not the work of the Holy Spirit, but to convict us as we need to be corrected, and to develop deeper convictions as we grow. So the Holy Spirit cuts these individuals to the heart as Peter speaks. And then we know the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us there, but then offers us the regeneration, the reconciliation to God, and the redemptive work is complete as he develops in us further convictions of righteousness 
and right living before God. So this help that he gives us is spoken of by Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. He is our helper. Who doesn't want help? You hear it said sometimes, it's hard to find good help these days. And that may be true in, uh, in the modern world, that it's hard to find good help. But the Holy Spirit promises to be our help, promises to be with us. This word here, paraclete, the one who comes alongside and joins, uh, joins their life to yours as an advocate, as a helper, as one who cries out for you and helps defend you and, and helps uh, advise this is someone to come alongside you. And don't you need that in this life? I need that. I desperately need that in this life. I need that, that paraclete, that indwelling. It says that that Holy Spirit will be in you. I need that Holy Spirit in me, with me, next to me, advising, helping, counseling, advocating for me. I need that helper. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would be that. Not only is he our helper, but John 14, 26 says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, a loving teacher who's patient with us. He's not the teacher that gets frustrated that you don't get it and sends you down the hall to the tutor. The Holy Spirit is an individual tutor in and of himself who patiently, lovingly helps, convicts, never condemns, but convicts of the wrong and helps show the right and teaches us the truth of God. And, and as, as this says, he will bring to remembrance all the things that Christ told the apostles. I believe as you spend time in God's word, it's the Holy Spirit who enables you to recall the verses of Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit who embeds Scripture deep within your heart so that you can recall it in the time that you need it. But we have to be able to let him teach us and let him help us remember. He is the helper who wants to do that. Will we let him? Will we surrender our lives and let ourselves be controlled by the Holy Spirit so that we overflow with him being our helper, that we overflow with him being our teacher, with him being the one who reminds us of the things that we need to know. So he's our helper, he's our teacher, he's our convictor. In John chapter 16, verse 12, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus continues, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He's continuing to teach here. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will be the glorifier of Jesus Christ. As he guides you into all truth, as he helps you, teaches you, helps you to remember, as he convicts you, his goal in all of that is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. 
He will unify the message of the triune God. Those things that God spoke to men in the Old Testament, the inspired, God-breathed words of Moses and Samuel and David and Solomon and the prophets, both major and minor, and all the authors of the Old Testament text, they were spoken to by, by the Almighty God, inspired to write those words. Jesus, when he came, spoke the words of God, for he was God, is God, and always will be God. And now the Holy Spirit continues that unified message of the triune God, speaking only the things that God has spoken, speaking only the things that Christ has spoken, and pointing back to Jesus Christ as the one who is worthy of all praise. It says that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ. By displaying unity amongst the Godhead, the Holy Spirit will bring that glory to fruition as he convicts those who do not believe in Christ and brings them into a place where they will give glory to Jesus Christ. As he helps us understand how worthy Christ is of praise, the Holy Spirit can drop us to our spiritual knees to praise Jesus Christ and bring him glory. As he helps us remember all that God has done for us and all the love that God has shown to us, then we will fall on our knees and bring glory to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's work is to remind the apostles, as promised in John chapter 16, and also to remind you and me today that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Redeemer of your soul and mine, my only hope for eternity. This Holy Spirit puts that in me so that I would glorify Christ for all that he has done for me. The Holy Spirit will establish Jesus Christ as the head of the church. There is no man or woman that should receive any glory for what happens in the kingdom of God. Whatever good things happen at Calvary Church are the work of Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit in individuals who obey him, yes, but ultimately all to the credit of Jesus Christ. If anything good comes out of this church, I pray that you praise God for it, that you give him the glory, for no man or woman deserves the praise that Jesus alone died and made himself worthy of. These are what the Holy Spirit does. A convictor, a helper, a teacher, a reminder, a glorifier, and one who establishes Christ as the head of the church, as the church is born at Pentecost. In the last instructions of Christ to his disciples, he also spoke of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a big topic in Jesus' teaching to his disciples. It shows up regularly, and it shows up in the last words that he has to his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice with me first in verse 5 that he says this line, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referring back to John chapter 1, 
when John the Baptist speaks in verse 32 and says to the crowd, I saw the Spirit from heaven <clears throat> descend like a dove, and it remained, <coughs> and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, <clears throat> but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus refers back to an instruction given by John the Baptist that the people should look forward to the one whose sandals he's not worthy to untie, to the one who would be the Messiah. John was just the messenger. Jesus was the message. John spoke words. Jesus was the word. And this Jesus who John speaks of is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is the one who does the work of baptizing. I can't baptize you. You can't baptize yourself. All you can do is ask Jesus to baptize you. All I can do is ask Jesus to baptize you, for he is the one who saves. He is the one who immerses you, which is what baptism is. It's an immersion. It's a dunking. It's a, it's a, it's a pressing under of something else. It's, it's sinking something deep into something else that it becomes a part of it. And so to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be plunged into the depths of the Holy Spirit and His love for you and to let the Holy Spirit just completely encase you and fill you with all that He is. And Jesus is the one who does that. And when that happens, Jesus says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, you will receive power. And that power will result in you becoming the witness of Jesus Christ, the one who brings glory to Jesus Christ by speaking about him. The Holy Spirit's mission is to bring glory to Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit fills you with his power, then you have uh, come alongside the Holy Spirit as he has come alongside you, and your mission becomes fully the same thing, that every moment of every day, that every breath that you breathe, every word that you speak, every thought that you think should be aimed at bringing Jesus Christ glory. And that cannot happen fully and effectively unless we are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. For my mind and yours, if not drunk on the Holy Spirit, will continue to think its own thoughts and to say its own words and have its own moments where sin will try to take over. But the Holy Spirit gives us glorious victory over that. And if we will allow ourselves to surrender to Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us, then we can live victoriously in power, bringing glory to Jesus Christ as we proclaim with our mouths the good news of what Jesus has done as we become those witnesses that Jesus talked about in Acts chapter 1. These may have been the last instructions of Christ to his disciples, but it was by no means the end. It was just the beginning of what Christ wanted to do. You see, Christ came and accomplished what he had to accomplish, but then he started in motion all that must be accomplished to fulfill these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ ascended that day in Acts chapter 1, and just a few days later in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, 
when that day of first fruits and the celebration of the physical harvest arrived. The apostles were waiting in a room, obeying Christ's instruction to not leave until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that day, a rushing wind burst into the room. Tongues of fire descended and hovered above the heads of the apostles as they went out into the street and began to preach and began to proclaim in languages they didn't know the clear message of the gospel so that those who had gathered on Pentecost from the far reaches of the known world and had descended on Jerusalem in their own native tongues, in their own languages from far away, they were hearing the apostles proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. This good news went out. This good news filled the streets. Some were confused by it. Some thought the apostles were drunk, but it was too early in the morning to have tapped into the wine. And so something else was going on, and the people recognized it. And it said, as we read earlier, that it cut them to the heart. And as it cut them to the heart, they begged the apostles, what must we do to be saved? How do, we, how do we do something now? Now that you've offered us this truth about who God is, now that the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin and we want to live righteous lives and we're aware of the judgment that awaits us, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. And Peter says, now you receive the Holy Spirit, which is the promise for you and for all who are far off. Pentecost was the beginning. Acts chapter 1 may have been the end of Christ's time here on earth, but it was just the beginning. Peter stood up that day. Peter was bold enough to stand out that day, to let himself be publicly known as a follower of Jesus Christ. Where had Peter been just a few days before? Was he not cowering in the shadows, telling little servant girls, I don't know the man. I don't know this Jesus guy. I've never met him. I, I'm just curious what's going on here. And Peter, the same Peter who denied Christ three times, the same Peter who sunk in the water because he took his eyes off Jesus, the same Peter who cut off the soldier's ear and then slinked back into the shadows because he didn't know what was going on, the same Peter that went back to fishing after Christ rose from the dead, the same Peter who was, who was commended by Christ three times to go feed the sheep because Peter wasn't getting it. This same Peter, when he received the power of the Holy Spirit, took all the, took all the mistakes of the past and said, I don't care who I was back then. I now believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I now want to give him glory. And I now have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I don't care. I will go out into the street and I will make a fool of myself for Christ. And Peter didn't know that 3,000 people would be saved that day. Peter didn't know that anything good would come of it. For all we know, Peter might have thought he'd go outside and make a fool of himself. He maybe didn't even know anything about what he was saying. He was speaking in tongues. He'd never heard tongues before. He goes out on the streets, makes a fool of himself in front of the crowd for Christ, not knowing if anything good would happen. But thanks be to God that 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus that day. Jesus started something that day. He put something in Peter that day that changed him, that revolutionized who he was as a man that gave him a voice that maybe he had had some, 
some, uh, some bumbling words to say before that caused Jesus to say, get behind me, Satan, because Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. This same Peter was given the words by the Holy Spirit to preach a message that resulted in 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus that day. Jesus did something to Peter. Don't tell me that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is just, eh, it's just, just, just part of getting saved. It's not. It's something that revolutionizes who you are. It's something that changes you deep in your core. And how you've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I can't say. How you might experience it, I can't say. But I know that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you will know it. You may speak in tongues. And that will very likely be the evidence that the Holy Spirit has been deposited in your life in such a powerful way. But that's not the end. It's not the goal of the believer to say, yes, I spoke in tongues once when the Holy Spirit came upon me. The goal of the believer is to, is to glorify Jesus with every day of their life. And with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and him overflowing you and overwhelming you, that becomes all the more possible and all the more realistic a goal that you would bring glory to Jesus Christ. What Jesus started in Peter that day, he wants to start in each and every one of us. Today, God wants to start something in you. And it's not something he wants to do just to you. He wants to do it to you so that you can then go help others. He wants to do it to you so that now he can do things through you. He doesn't want to just do it for one person and say, done. He wants it to change you so that you can then go change others. Jesus is the baptizer. Jesus is the reason for the baptizing. To bring him glory and honor is the goal of being filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. The filling of the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about already, is an immersion. It's being encased in Christ. It's being dipped, dunked, put into Jesus Christ in such a powerful way. Put into his spirit that his spirit would surround you that he would fill you. And it's not just a, I want to do this so I can have it. For I do not believe that God honors that request. God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I want it. No, I believe he honors the request when you say, Jesus, I want all that you can give me because I want to give you all the glory possible. And I want to be empowered to be your witness. I want to be empowered to live a life of righteousness. I want to be empowered in such a powerful way that I bring you glory and honor that I couldn't bring you unless this happened to me. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means being marked in a way that identifies you as his. That those who looked at Christ and saw him for who he was and understand, understood the depth of his love and understood the value in following him and becoming fishers of men at the expense of their own companies and their own businesses and just said, Lord, I will follow you. Those people who were willing to bear that mark are the ones that were empowered and ultimately did bear that mark.
Will you bear that mark? Will you point people to Jesus? You're not trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can go out there and talk about your belief system, but so you can go out there and talk about Jesus. You're not going out there to talk about you and how special you are, but to talk about Jesus. When you're made a bold witness for Jesus, you talk about who he is. You talk about what he's done and how he alone is worthy of all the glory and all the praise. To proclaim his excellencies clearly and powerfully so that others hear how awesome God is from your lips because you've experienced the love of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who is your convictor, helper, comforter, teacher, reminder, and the one who helps you to glorify Christ. Let me end where we began. What is different about today from all other days? Only you can answer that. I can't tell you what you're going to do different. I can't tell you what God's going to do different for you today. But you can make a decision right now that today is going to be different. Forgetting the past, not certain of what the future on earth might hold, but being absolutely certain of what eternity in the future does hold, a judgment for those who are not repentant, and everlasting eternal life for those who are repentant. Given those facts, that today is all I have, the past is gone, the future will be what it will be, what am I going to do today? What I do today can set up for the future. What I do today can make a difference today and maybe in someone else's life for many days. What will I do with today? What makes today any different? If you've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I pray right now and I ask right now that God would give you just a renewed conviction of what that meant that day and how he wants you to bring him glory and that there would just be a Holy Spirit-inspired, renewed vigor for bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Lord, do that in Jesus' name the one who has been obedient to you and has repented of their sins, who has cried out to you, the one whom you have baptized in the Holy Spirit. May that person right now receive just a Holy Spirit-inspired, renewed vigor for bringing glory to you. And Jesus, for the one who has not repented, for the one who maybe has begun to understand what salvation is but hasn't fully given their heart to you, who hasn't confessed you as Lord, God, I pray that today would be the day that they confess you as Lord that they believe in, your, in their heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. God, there's an individual who has confessed you as Lord, who knows you as Savior, but has never been overcome with the Holy Spirit's power, who's never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And for that individual, I cannot baptize you. You cannot baptize yourself. All that you can do is cry out to Jesus. Seek Jesus with all your heart. Go after him strong, on your knees, laying on your stomach, flat on your back, arms reached up to heaven, standing, straining to feel his presence. 
quietly sitting in a chair and just letting God do work deep within you. It doesn't matter what posture you take. What matters is what your heart's cry is. And as you cry out for Jesus, as you cry out for all that he has for you to be and to do, ask him, Lord, fill me, overflow, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Let me, uh, let me completely surrender as never before because I want this power. I want this help. I want this comfort. I need these convictions, and I want to bring you the most glory, Jesus. For all that you've done for me, Jesus, I understand salvation, but I need your power to talk to other people. Give me that power today. And as you cry out to Jesus, as you cry out to him right now, let me pray that you would receive that baptism. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your salvation. For without your love and your grace and your salvation, we would be damned to hell. And God, we come today acknowledging that the disciples received the Holy Spirit as you breathed on them in that room that night. The day you raised from the dead, the first time that salvation became possible by belief in you raising from the dead, you gave your Holy Spirit to those men. But there was something that had to happen some days later when the Holy Spirit fell on them in power and you baptized them, just as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, you baptized them in the Holy Spirit and you gave them that power to be your witnesses. God, I pray right now that the individual who is calling out on you to be filled to overflowing, that that individual who wants to be immersed in all that you are, who wants to be marked by love in a powerful way, the one who wants to be a bold witness for you, that individual right now, Lord Jesus, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, baptize them. Baptize them in your Holy Spirit. Come over them in power, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that they might have evidence that they've been baptized, that the tongues of heaven might begin to flow out of their mouth. God, that the joy of the salvation they have would overflow to overflowing levels they've never known before, that the Holy Spirit would convict them so much of their salvation that they would never be more sure of their salvation than they are right now because the power of your Holy Spirit is flowing through them. And Lord, would you give them this gift of baptism in the Holy Spirit, we pray. God, I thank you for those who are watching. I thank you for those who you are working in right now. God, grant them this gift as you have with me and many others, as you have with so many in the assemblies of God who believe in the Pentecostal gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not because our church teaches it, but because the Word of God teaches it. God, we believe it to be true because it's in your Word. And so right now, for those who are seeking it, I pray that they would receive it in Jesus' name. Jesus, baptize them. Fill them to overflowing. Immerse them in your love. And we give you all the glory, Jesus, for you alone are worthy. May our lives bring you glory every moment of every day. And it's in your mighty matchless name we pray, Jesus, by faith alone. Amen. I pray that all who watch this would have the joy of eternal salvation and that all who have the joy of eternal salvation would not stop at just knowing that eternity is secure for you, but that you would cry out to the Lord to fill you to overflowing 
that you might become the bold witness that God wants you to be, that you would be transformed from a bumbling Peter, a shameful, shy, reserved, scared Peter, into a bold, fearless witness for Jesus Christ. If you have questions about how this works or if you've experienced something that you'd like to talk about, I want you to reach out. In the links on this video, you can reach out to me at Calvary Church. You can reach out to me directly at the church. Um, But I would love to talk to you about what you've experienced today if you have any questions about that. And the links to the AG resources in the description are helpful as well. I encourage you to check those out. But above all, I pray that you bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ because he is worthy of all the praise. So those who have called on his name, go preach his name to those who need it.